I mentioned last night, you know, as, as a pastor, you kind of figure out every Christmas, it's the same message, it's the same story, it's the same, you know, the same, it's always the birth of Christ is what we're celebrating. And we always kind of look at different ways to kind of approach that. How, maybe we can approach it from this point of view, or maybe we can approach it from Joseph's point of view, or God's point of view, or Jesus's point of view, or the shepherd's point of view, or, you know, and, and I thought, well, this year, we're kind of become known as to simply teach the Bible simply, so we're just going to kind of walk through the Christmas story together. It's been a tradition in our home for a long time that we read the Christmas story on Christmas morning, and we're going to do that together. We started it in part one last night. So last night we covered, in Luke chapter one, we covered Gabriel coming to Mary and announcing the birth of the Messiah that... Gabriel came and, and he told Mary that you're going to have a baby and that baby's going to be the Messiah, the one that would be called the Son of God and would change the world and forgive men for their sins, Matthew tells us. And it was one of those moments where Mary had to decide, am I, in, am I on board with this? Do I, she understood the, what the consequence would be because she was betrothed to Joseph and she realized that becoming pregnant as a virgin birth out of wedlock to Joseph, they were betrothed, they hadn't been married yet, she would be looked down upon in her community. So the, the road that she had to walk for the Lord was going to take some sacrifice. Sacrifice, and we see at the we saw at the end of our study last night that Mary presented herself to the Lord. And behold, you're the maid servant of the Lord. She said, in other words, she said, Lord, let your will be done. Whatever you want to do in my life, I'm willing to do that. And we talked about what a beautiful position that is for us as Christians to say, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, I'm willing to do it, even if it's going to be difficult, even if it's going to, even if it might separate me from family. Because I don't think that her parents bought the idea that she was giving birth to the Messiah. I mean, try think try pass that off to mom and dad. I'm pregnant. Uh, how that happened? Well, I really didn't do anything wrong, Mom and Dad. No, that's, that, they didn't buy into that real easily, I'm sure. But as time would come and time would think, she didn't all, also anticipate all of the things that she was going to have to go through, all of the being ostracized, all of the, I'm sure, the butt of many jokes. But yet she said, Lord, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, here I am. And she, she presented herself. And now we're going to come to chapter 2, verse 1. Mary and Joseph are still living in Nazareth. Uh, Mary's returned from visiting Elizabeth. Remember, right after she was pregnant, she went to see Elizabeth. God had told her through the angel Gabriel, your cousin Elizabeth is about to give birth to. She's, she's pregnant. It's a miraculous pregnancy. She's advanced in years. So Mary goes, meets Elizabeth, and that's confirmed to her. What, exactly what Gabriel had told her, he finds, she finds Elizabeth pregnant. And chapter 2, verse 1, let's pick up there together. It says this, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing, governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Luke begins this chapter with the words, and it came to pass. And it came to pass. Do you know why that he wrote those? Because he wants you to know this is more than a story. This is more than a myth. When he says it came to pass, he's telling you this happened. I'm going back, I'm going to tell you what took place. And I don't want you to mistakenly think this is a myth or it's a story. Luke says, it came to pass, which means it happened, it came to pass. He wants us to know that. Caesar Augustus issued a decree that all the world should be registered and to do so, Everyone would need to go to their own city. We know the basis behind this is taxation. We want to get everybody registered. Get everybody registered, we can do what? Make sure they're paying their taxes. Make sure we're getting what we're supposed to be getting from them. That was the whole purpose for this. And since Joseph was from the lineage of David, since he was from the family of David, he needed to go to Bethlehem, which is where King David was born. King David was born in Bethlehem. Joseph was going to have to go back to Bethlehem to, to register there. Now, here's the cool thing. Caesar Augustus, the, the, the one issuing the census here, uh, had no idea 
in declaring this census and in telling them, telling everybody, all the world, all of the populated world now has to go back to their hometown and they have to be registered. He had no idea that he was actually helping fulfill biblical prophecy. He had no idea what was taking place. God was working behind the scenes. By this census, we're going to see that prophecy is fulfilled. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says this. It says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And what that verse that I just read to you out of Micah chapter 5, verse 2, what it means, it means that the Messiah, that the Hebrew, the Jewish people were waiting for, would be born in Bethlehem. What was the problem with that? Mary was carrying the Messiah as a pregnant woman, but where were they living? Nazareth. Isn't it cool how God works? God says, I need to fulfill this prophecy, so I need to get Mary and Joseph to go to Nazareth so that the Messiah can be born in Bethlehem because people thousands of years from now aren't going to believe that this is true. So I want to write down for them ahead of time. I want to write down, oh, maybe close to a thousand years ahead of time before it happens that the, prophet, that the prophecy that the Messiah will come out of Bethlehem so when it happens, they'll know it's true. Now we get the luxury, the wonderful opportunity to look back at Scripture and go, wow. How did Micah the prophet, who lived hundreds, almost a thousand years before Christ, how did he know that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem because he received it from the Lord? Now Mary and Joseph, unbeknown, maybe they knew, some people think they actually knew that they would have known this prophecy, but either way, God's working and he says, listen, you guys got, I got to get them to Bethlehem. I got, she can't have this baby in Nazareth. If she does, it's going to ruin the whole Bible because we'll have one prophecy left that, that was wrong. If the, we, i got to make it happen. So God works behind the scenes. He, has, he orders the census. All of a sudden, Mary and Joseph are on their way to Bethlehem. Had to be a work of God. Well, how do you know, Rob? How else are you going to get a, a, a woman who's almost nine months pregnant on a donkey and travel 80 miles? Do you, ladies that have ever been pregnant, do you think you're going to get on a donkey in your pregnancy and walk 80 miles for three days? Not likely. You don't want to drive 80 miles if you're so uncomfortable the later in the pregnancy you get. Had to be from the Lord. Look at verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Together, Mary and Joseph, they set off for Bethlehem. As I said, it's about an 80-mile journey. It's probably about a three-day journey. We're the, you know, it's not an easy journey. Some people suggest that they knew why they were going to Bethlehem because the Messiah had to be born there. We don't know that for sure. It's possible they were just simply work following the circumstances the Lord had laid out for them. You have to go be registered. Okay, great. We're going to go be registered. And although it's, it's, it's certainly possible they knew what was going to take place, but we can't be sure of that. Then in verse six, it says, so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Oh, this is the Christmas story. This is what we, we've learned in Sunday school. This is what we grew up learning. It's, it's the story of Jesus, baby Jesus. While they're in Bethlehem, you know, you, you can picture them running all over the place looking for a place to stay. Mary's maybe going into labor. And finally they stay. There's no room for them at the inn, so they find a, a stable that they can stay in. Likely it was a cave outside of Bethlehem. Likely it was a cave where they stored livestock. We know that because there's a manger there. They would have been feeding there. Uh, so we, this is the story that we know. But I want you to notice a few important things. 
It says this is Mary's firstborn son. It's her firstborn son. Why does it say that? Because it's alluding to the fact that Mary would have other children, and the scriptures tell us that. Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ don't believe Mary had any other children, but the Bible tells us that she did. And we don't have time to go there all those places this morning, but I assure you it does mention it. Number two, notice what she wrapped him in. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. What are swaddling clothes? You know, I, I think of swaddling clothes, I think if you go to the hospital, you have a baby, and they get you that blue and pink blanket, and you kind of wrap them in. They all look the same wrapped up there. That's not what these were. These were strips of cloth. They were strips. And some people suggest that they were actually grave clothes. They were, the, they were the strips of cloth they would wrap a body in before they embalmed it with, uh, with uh, different fragrances and scents to try, to try to preserve the body. Some people think it was grave clothes, and, and that's a possibility. It certainly could have been prepared, the same cloth that they would use to prepare a body for burial. If that's true, if it was grave clothes that he was wrapped in when he was born, what does that say about his life? It means he was born to die. It means that there was a purpose for it. Is, is there something being said here? It very well could be. But notice where he was laid. He was laid in a manger. He was laid in a manger. And we all have, or not all of us, we probably have, we've all seen manger scenes and they're out in front of our yards and they're a nice little wooden box and there's a little hay overflowing the outside and little babies laying in the middle of it. But that manger that they used probably wasn't made of wood. Probably would have been made of stone. Would have been carved out of rock. It would, have been, it would have been the same place that they put the, the food for the animals in the stable, which means there would have been animal saliva all over it. it wouldn't, you know, they didn't have a bottle of alcohol to sterilize things with them. You know, there may have been hay in it for comfort, but it, it, was a, it was a place that was, you probably wouldn't want to lay your newborn baby in a manger. You know, it might be a nice idea, and we've, we've kind of commercialized it, memorialized it for Christmas, but I, I think that we need to remember they're in a stable. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes, but he's laid in a manger. What were mangers for? For food, right? You fed the animals. Could that be saying something about Christ? That we're supposed to be consuming him? He's going to later claim to be the bread of life? Is it something that we're supposed to be eating of his body, which is what we do in communion, right? We celebrate fellowship with him. We, we commune with him. If, in fact, he was wrapped in grave clothes and laid in a manger, how cool is that? It's, it's a prediction of what he's going to be to us. He's gonna, he was born to die, and we're supposed to be consuming him. We're supposed to be eating of him. Look at verse 8. I like this part. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. These shepherds were in the outskirts of Bethlehem, and it was common that these, this area would have been known for keeping the, the sheep or the flocks which belonged to the temple. It's possible that these flocks that these shepherds were keeping were the same flocks that they would use to sacrifice at the temple. Isn't it cool that it's just possible, and we don't know this for sure, again, it's possible, that Christ was born among the same flocks that would be used to groan and, and, and nurtured and brought up to be able to be sacrificed in the temple. The same, the same Messiah, the, the, the Lamb of God, would have been born right among the other lambs that would have been used in the temple. How cool is that? What the, what is it? That's an amazing picture that we're seeing there. You see, because of this verse, because it says the shepherds were out in the field at night, a lot of people say, that's not when, see, we know that Christmas, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. We know that it's way too cold in Jerusalem or outside of Jerusalem for them to be born on December 25th. It had to be earlier. Perhaps it was a warm winter. Perhaps it's true. He was born on a different day and most likely that's the case. But does it really matter? Because this is a day that we choose to celebrate. This is the day that the Christians have redeemed from a pagan holiday. And we say, this is when we're going to remember our Savior's birth. 
Isn't it sad that our culture is trying to take it away from us? Isn't it sad they want to commercialize everything? They want it to be about, yet you, see, you hear the Christmas carols. Who are they about? They're about the birth of Christ. You hear them in the stores. You hear them in the mall. You hear them all the places you go. And they're about the birth of Christ. Don't let society take that away from you. This is our celebration. And I applaud you guys for coming to church on Christmas morning because it could have been real easy just to stay home and sleep in and take a day off. So I applaud you for being here. I think it's wonderful. It shows your commitment to the Lord that you say, yes, I do want to be here. Now, verse 9. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. This verse doesn't do a really good job of depicting what it was really like. Now, we just talked about, can you imagine a group of shepherds are hanging out in the field together, the sheep are out there, they're, they're doing their bat thing, and that's all they can probably hear for miles around, and all of a sudden, at a dark night, and the sky lights up, and an angel of the Lord is there. I mean, just boom, like right there. These guys are like, whoa, what's going on? It's interesting that God chose to reveal the birth of the Messiah to the shepherds, isn't it? He says, I'm going to pick the shepherds. I'm going to show the Messiah's coming on the scene, coming into the world, and I'm going to pick that. I'm going to pick the shepherds. And we read that they're afraid. They're afraid. These guys shouldn't be afraid. They're used to fighting off animals. They're used to protecting the sheep. They're used to, you know, they, they were kind of a rough bunch, if you will. As a matter of fact, their reputation was one of, well, it was a bit tarnished. It wasn't very good. Shepherds were known for taking things that didn't belong to them taking things that were, were left laying around. They were nomads, and they still are today. If you go to Jerusalem or travel to Israel today, the same way they, they tended sheep back then, they're still doing it. You can see them standing out in the fields with their sheep. They sit out there on a rock. You can see them with all their sheep around them, and the sheep are grazing. But they were also considered unclean. They weren't allowed to go into the temple and worship. And they were, they were also, because of their, well, because of their lack of truthfulness, they weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law. Because their, their, their testimony was no good. It meant nothing. They, they were so at the bottom of the food chain, the bottom of society, if you would say. They didn't have an opportunity. They, what they said meant nothing. Yet that's who Jesus chose to reveal himself to first. Not the kings, not the religious people, not all the Pharisees and the scribes. He chose to reveal himself to the shepherds. So why would the angel appear to them? Why not somebody more important? Because I think that by visiting the shepherds, the angel revealed the grace of God towards all of mankind. He's going to take what society says, this is the lowest place. He says, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you the grace of God towards all of mankind. Oh, he would reveal himself to the kings, wouldn't he? We know that there's three kings, the magi, that would come to him later. So we can see it goes from all across from the kings and the magi all the way down to the shepherds. Warren Wearsby said this. He said, shepherds, he said, they're not easily fooled. He said, they're practical men of the world who have little to do with fantasy. If they said they saw angels and went and found the Messiah, then you could believe them. God selected, hand, heart, God selected hardworking men to be the first witnesses that his son had come into the world. The birth of Christ was announced to shepherds and kings, which tell us that salvation is for everyone. Salvation is for everyone. Now, they're afraid. And you can imagine, and that's, that's pretty much the common reaction in the scriptures when somebody sees an angel. You know, most people, everywhere you read, and they fear, and they, you know, and you always hear, fear not, don't be afraid. You know, or they'll fall down and worship, and they'll, no, no, get up, don't worship me, I'm only an angel, worship, worship God. You always see them being corrected in that place. So that seeing that they're afraid, look at verse 10, here's what the angel said to them. Real simple, don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. There's no reason to be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of, heavenly, of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The angel sees they're afraid and says, Don't be afraid. Relax. It's okay. I come. I come with good tidings of great joy. I'm not here to hurt you. I bring you good tidings, great joy. Notice who it's for. Who's the good tidings and great joy for? It says to all men. To all men. I bring you good tidings of great joy to some men, a few men, certain men. No, it says to all men. And if you do your Greek study, the word all means all. It means everyone. It means everything. It means just like it does in English, it means all. I bring you good tidings of great joy to all men. It shows us that Jesus' birth was for all people, not just a select few. It shows us that the birth is, is good tidings. It's great joy. Can you imagine just for a moment the angels there, the sky filled, the worship that's taking place? I, I have this weird mind. I wonder, what were the angels thinking? I mean, Jesus was born... But he didn't come into existence then. He existed prior to. But that's just the way that he chose to come to earth. What were the angels thinking as they look upon the Christ as a little baby lying in a manger? I mean, how many other ways could he have come to earth? How would you have come to earth if it was you? I'd come as a ruling and conquering king, wouldn't you? I'd come destroying my enemies. I'd come showing them who's boss. I'd want them to know, you know there, there would be no problem with salvation. You either, you either turn or burn right here on the spot. You got it. That's not how he comes. He comes as a savior, as a baby. Anybody, anybody intimidated by a baby? Well, some of us guys are, but... <laughs> most people aren't afraid the baby's going to do anything to them. They're not afraid the baby's going to hurt them. They're not afraid of that. And that's the way Christ comes in humility. Now, Oh, he's coming the other way. He's coming as a ruling king. He'll come back. Je uh, Revelation tells us, 19, that he'll return. He'll, he'll return with his armies of saints behind him. And that, that part's coming, but now he came. Now he's coming as a baby for all. The angel told the shepherds some details about this baby. They said the baby was born in the city of David, which is referring to Bethlehem. Now, if you're a Bible student, you've been with us in Bible studies, you'd say, wait a minute, Rob. I know that Bethlehem and the city of David are two different things. The city of David is a small section of south of Jerusalem. It's, it's just south of Jerusalem there. Bethlehem is, is not there. It's, it's, it's a different location. Remember, the, and, and in the Old Testament, every time the, the Bible refers to the city of David, it's referring to Jerusalem. How is now the city of David becoming Bethlehem? Anybody pick up on that? Nobody. All right. Well, pay attention more next time. Listen, the city of David here that Luke's telling us, some people think he's telling us for political reasons, but I think he's simply saying it's where David was born. The city of David is where, is where the King David was born. Let's not make more of it than it is. He's just saying the city of David is the, is the city where, where David was given birth to. But the angel also says the baby is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. That means, Christ means anointed one. It means Messiah. So as the angels tell the shepherds, who would have been Hebrew, the Messiah is born, they're understanding what, he sa what, he, what they're saying. They get it. It's not, you know, for us to say, for, for us in our language to say, um, is Christ, Christ the Lord? 
You know, that, that's who Jesus has become. It's a title for him. It's the way that we refer to him. But to them, what they understood, the Messiah is here. The Messiah is now on earth. Everything you've been waiting for, it's, it's happening. It's here. All of the Old Testament prophecies, they're happening. They're unfolding. The Messiah has come. And that's what, that's what they understand. And then the, then the angel says, this is how you can find him. You want to find the Messiah? Of course we do. He'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes, and he'll be lying in a manger. That's not, probably not what they expected for the Messiah to come. Even when Jesus' ministry was on earth, what did they always expect? Him to turn against the Romans and separate the Jewish, separate the Hebrews from the Romans to, to take back their city, to take back their rule, to, to be freed from the Romans. That's what they wanted him to do. And Jesus, Jesus said, I'm going to set you free from your sins. I'll come back later on my second coming and I'll set you free from all of the other governments on the earth. But today I'm here, now I'm here to die for you. I'm here to, so I can set you free from your sins. So he tells the shepherds, you're going to find this baby. Baby's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. That's a little unusual. And he's going to be lying in a manger. And that's certainly unusual. And immediately, immediately, heaven fills with angels who are praising God. And look at what they're saying. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Can you picture the scene? It's a dark night. You're out in the countryside outside of uh, uh, Bethlehem. You're there, your sheep, it's pretty quiet. You're out there by yourself and all of a sudden one angel shows up, starts talking to you and all of a sudden the heavens light up. All the heavens light up and there it is. Now I want you to know something because we all think they sing that, don't you? But does it say sing or does it say say? It says they said it. They were saying it. The majority of times that an angel appears, they're speaking, they're not singing. Do you know there's only one place in Scripture where we read of the angels singing? Now, I'm not saying they don't sing because I believe that they do, and they very well may have been singing this. But there's only one other place, I think it's Job 38, when it says the morning stars sang together. The morning stars sang together. But all other places when we see this, we see them declaring it. They're simply declaring glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. And the last section there where it says on earth, peace, goodwill towards men, it probably would be better translated, looking at the Greek language, and on earth, peace towards men of goodwill. Not, not peace towards all men, peace towards men of goodwill, peace towards those that would accept Christ. The English Standard Version translated it this way, among those with whom he is pleased, he is bringing peace. Among those who are believers in Jesus Christ, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. It's available for everybody, for the, those that would believe, but it could also be translated, and on earth, peace towards men of goodwill. Very, very common there. Now, what's the good news? What is this they're all, what is everyone so excited about? Not that God had sent a soldier or a judge or a reformer. What, what, what's the excitement that's taking place? But he sent a savior. He sent a savior born as a baby. He sent a savior to meet man's greatest need. Our greatest needs. You see, I, we think sometimes our greatest need is, is peace and security from the outside world. But he goes, no, I want to meet your inner need. I want to I I I meet the need that you have with sin in your life. I want to take care of that for you. I want to meet man's greatest need. It was a message of peace to a world that he knew was broken up and torn up in war. He understood that. Now, one commentator said this. He said, even the pagans of the first century world sensed this need for peace and a savior. Epictetus, a first century pagan writer, he expressed this. While the emperor, 
He's talking about the ruler of some place, somebody. The emperor may give peace from war on land and sea. He is unable to give peace from passion, peace from grief, peace from envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which men yearn for even more than even than they do outward peace. In other words, a ruler, a king, our president, can he give you peace in your heart? Of course he can't. That can only be through Jesus Christ. It can only, maybe it's been said that you know only God can fill the God-shaped hole in somebody's heart. It only comes through him. You're not going to find peace in Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. You're not going to find peace in our local legislature. You're, you're not going to find peace that way. We're only going to find peace through Jesus Christ. It's through Christ that we can find the peace that looks around and says, you know what? This is not a very good Christmas. As a matter of fact, it can be sad. As a matter of fact, Christmas Eve, one year ago, was the last Christmas service, the last church service my mom attended. Her last service was Christmas Eve. And I would have a tendency to look around and go, man, Christmas is just isn't the same without mom. And you know what? It's not. But at the same time, I have the peace of God in my heart. And that's not what defines me. I know I'll see my mom again someday in heaven. I understand that. And as you go through holidays, as you go through life, as you go through these things, you're going to face difficulty. You're going to look around and go, you know what, this Christmas stinks sometimes. And you'll have to be Christmas. This is a good Christmas. That's the way life goes. But you know that we can, what he's talking about here is Jesus says, I can bring you the peace that you can endure through all of that. Because your focus and your hope is in me, not in your circumstances. I'm not looking to be happy. I'm looking to be faithful. I'm not looking to be you know, happy. I want to be holy. I'm not looking just to enjoy the things of the world because the things of the world are going to come and go depending on who's in office and who's not in office. We don't know what the financial future of our country is, nor do we care if we're in Jesus Christ. Certainly we'll be prudent and plan, but our hope is in him alone, even in our family. Do you know that you're not guaranteed to have your family with you next Christmas? It's great if you can be together, but there's people that are going, I don't have my family with me anymore. There's, there's Muslims that have turned to Christ that their family have rejected them. They're celebrating Christmas alone because their family wants nothing to do with them. Jesus says, that's the peace I came to. This is the peace I came to give so that you, no matter what situation, no matter what your health says, no matter what circumstance you're living in, you can look at me and go, wow, the Lord loves me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can endure this. And I know that this is only temporary because my hope isn't in my worldly circumstances. It's in my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the peace that he came to give us. Now it says in verse 15, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. How'd they find them? They went house to house. They went door to door. Can you just imagine these shepherds? What are you guys doing? In t- Their sheep are probably following them through the town. That's what sheep do. They're, where is he? Where's the, where's the baby? Is there a manger here? No, is there, where's the swaddling clothes? Where, where is, oh, we found him. They found Jesus just as the angels had said. Just like he said, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. William Barclay said this. He said, it's a lovely thought. The shepherds who looked after the temple lambs were the first to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How cool is that? Lovely thought. Verse 17. Now when they had come to see him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherd. 
But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and that they had seen as it was told to them. Notice what the shepherds are doing after they meet Jesus. He's a baby. He's just a baby lying in a manger. He didn't say anything to him. He couldn't talk to him. But yet they leave after verifying what the angels told him. They're doing two important things. Number one, they're telling everybody they know. They're telling everybody they know. Let me tell you about what happened. We were out in the field, and this angel popped up, and then all of a sudden, you can imagine people going, but they're amazed by it because it seems too good to be true. The Messiah, we saw him. The angel said he's born in, he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's lying in a manger. We went to Bethlehem. We knocked on every door in Bethlehem. You know it was the last one they knocked on. Isn't that the way it goes? You always get in the slow lane at the grocery store. You always, it's always the last house you pick. Whatever, if you start on the right, it's the left. It's, you know that's the way it happened. That's God's sense of humor. So they were telling everybody they knew. And number two, what are they doing? They were glorifying and praising God. Glorifying and praising God. John Calvin said this. He said, the zeal in glorifying and praising God is an implied reproof of our laziness. He says, the fact that the shepherds went and saw a baby and it caused them to glorify glorify God, it shows us how lazy we are. Why? Or rather our ingratitude. If the cradle of Christ had such an effect upon them as to make them rise from the stable and the manger to heaven, how much more power should the death and the resurrection of Christ have in our life? In other words, if they went and saw a baby laying in a manger that was told to them by the angel, they didn't see, they don't, there's no, there, the death and the resurrection hadn't happened yet. If that power in them caused them to tell everybody they know, how much more power should the death and the resurrection of Christ have in our lives? But instead, we find ourselves sometimes, well, we don't want to tell anybody. We don't want to share Christ. We don't want to share the hope that lies within us. Why? Well, I don't want to look kind of weird. I don't want my, my neighbors or my coworkers to think I'm kind of funny. I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to be different like that. Listen, be different. We're called to be different. Don't conform to the world. Be different. Stand up for what you believe in. Stand up for what you have. It's better. I'd rather somebody know where I stand than think I'm part of the world. And I'm, I didn't know you were a Christian. No, I am. I don't watch that. I don't do that. I don't, I don't say those things. I, be, who, be who God called you to be. Be holy. Interestingly enough, although they were unable to testify in court, the Lord used the shepherds to testify on his behalf. Testify of the prophecy that had been fulfilled and that the Messiah had been born. The courts didn't believe what they would have to say. They were known as being a little shady. You couldn't always believe them. They, if you left something that wasn't nailed down, they might take it with them. But yet God says, that's who I'm going to reveal myself to. I'm going to reveal myself to them. How cool is that? Verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary kept quiet. Didn't say much. Just meditated on the things that God had done. You got to wonder what she was thinking. I mean, she clearly knew she gave birth to the Messiah. Gabriel had told her it was taking place. Yet she's watching all this stuff unfold. You know what? Mary's walk Mary's calling, Mary's uh, obedience to the Lord cost her greatly. She was looked down upon in her community. Even her husband Joseph wanted to put her away, but the angel Gabriel had to appear to him. But Mary said, I'll walk, I'll do it. And now as she's watching it all unfold, she's got to just be scratching her head, thinking, wow, how's it going to happen? What's coming next? What's going to take place? Sometimes in life, it's better to let other people testify about what God is doing in your life 
then you be the one blabbing it from the mountaintops. What I mean by that is sometimes in life, it's better just to be quiet and ponder what God is doing. Let, let other people look at your life and go, hey, I see something different about you. What's changed? Then you can open the door. Let me tell you what's changed. I started reading my Bible. I got saved. I started changing. The Lord is doing this work in me. What an amazing thing. Too often we blab about ourselves too much. Let somebody else do the talking about you. And you just be quiet and ponder. Like Mary, Lord, what, what, what are you going to do next? What's taking place? How's it all going to work? You see, I know our culture says promote yourself. That's what Facebook is. That's what Twitter is. I know that, you know, make yourself look good and all that kind of stuff. But there's a time to just be quiet. There's a time to let the Lord do that work for you. You worry about your character, let the Lord worry about your reputation. You worry about your character. You worry about what, what you're like when no one's looking. Let him worry about how everybody else sees you. And, don't, and let, put it in his hands and let him deal with it, whatever that might be. After meeting Jesus, the shepherds could not help but to tell everyone they met. They couldn't help to tell everyone and to glorify God. May our encounters with the Lord produce the very same thing in you. As you come to church, as you come to Bible studies, you get up and do your morning devotions, as you listen to the radio station, as something is revealed to you about the Lord, something that you didn't know before, something that maybe you knew it, it just needed to be refreshed. Oftentimes it's, it's stuff that we know, we just need to hear it again. Would you share that with somebody? This is Christmas. It's great. They're playing Christmas. You can talk to people in the store about Christmas. They're, did you hear that song that was playing? Do you know what that means? A lot of times people don't know. There's a whole generation of young people that are, being, that are coming up right now that don't know anything about Christmas. They, they don't know. There, there's a whole, you know, everybody, a lot of times, a lot of us were raised in Sunday school and we, we heard the stories and we drifted away for a while and then we came back. There's a whole generation of kids that do not know the Christmas story. To them, Christmas is nothing more than presidents or presidents. Presents and lights and all the and food, that's what Christmas is to them. And it's our obligation to tell them. We don't assume that anybody knows. They had an encounter with Jesus, the shepherds did. They began glorifying God and they began telling people. Shouldn't it have the same response in our life? Let it have that same response. Don't worry about someone would, would, how they would think. As we gather around our tables today, because we're all going home and having a Christmas dinner, we're going somewhere with friends and family, and as we fellowship and we tell our friends and family, can you be honest and open about what God's doing in your life? I would encourage you to ask that question to another believer. What is God doing in your life? Where is he working? And if, it's, and if somebody asks you that question and it's too personal to answer, then just simply say, you know what? He's doing a lot, but I just can't tell you. Because I'm just, we're not close enough, you know? I just, I'm just not going to share that with you. But if you can share what God's doing in your life, it will encourage you to hear what God's doing in somebody else's life, and it'll, you'll be in, they'll be encouraged when you tell them what God's doing in your life. And if he's not doing anything, if you say, Rob, I don't think God's doing anything in my life, then you need to make some changes. You need to make some changes. You need to really go and say, Lord, what, why aren't you doing anything? What's going on? What am I missing? Am I not getting into the word? Am I not getting into fellowship? Am I not worship? Where, where, where's, where's the disconnect here, Lord? Because I can assure you that he doesn't want to leave us the way that we are. He's not done with us, and we're not perfect, but he promises that, that he will complete the work that he started in us. And I'm a firm believer you're either moving closer or you're sliding back. You can't stay steady at one pace very long. You're either going to draw closer to the Lord and closer and closer and closer, or you're going to start to slip back and slip back and slip back and slip back. Any relationship in our life works the same way. 
Think about all the relationships you've had with all the people, friends, uh, even your, even your, your spouse. You know, you're going to grow closer and closer and closer, or you're going to grow further and further and further away. It, it, just, it just happens that way. So this afternoon and this evening, as we're sitting with our friends and our family, let's do what the shepherds did. Let's glorify God, and let's testify of what Jesus has done in our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time of year. We thank you for this celebration, Lord. Thank you that we can be here in church openly, not the fear of someone locking the doors or throwing us out. Lord, we have an opportunity in this country called free speech. We have an opportunity to share our testimonies and the work that you're doing in our life and the, the way that you've changed us. And Lord, I just pray that would be the forefront of our heart today. As we celebrate your birth, as we gather and all the family things and all the presents, and it's all fun and enjoyable. It's all great times. But may our focus remain on our Savior, for you came to bring peace on earth. Lord, you came to, to fix what was broken, our relationship with God. You came to fill the void, to, to make the connection that we couldn't make, how sin had separated us. But you came to reconnect us, Lord. And as you come to earth as a little baby, as the shepherds had an encounter with you, they left praising God, and they left telling people, Father, may we do the exact same thing. In Jesus' name, amen.